0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Ever felt overmatched? Um, ever found yourself in a situation where you, you got yourself into it and then all of a sudden you think, man, this is too, this is too much for me? Uh, maybe it's uh, a marriage or a relationship and you get in and everything's kind of cool and then like you're married uh, a couple of weeks and then you wake up one morning and you're like, oh no. I don't think I have what it takes to make it through this. Or maybe it's a job and you're, you're gung-ho on day one and you're learning the ropes but then you like you get this creeping feeling this creeping sensation that starts somewhere in the back of your mind and then it ends where every day when you're driving to work like it's just screaming at you you can't handle this you can't do this you ever like uh, maybe it's a maybe it's parenthood any parents in here you ever like uh, maybe day, day one, I mean, I think all of us went through that feeling when you, you bring the, the baby home from the hospital and like nobody's there to make sure like you're doing it right. And you're like, like nobody like checked my credentials when I left this hospital to make sure I'm licensed to, to carry this life with me. And you get home and it's just you and the baby and maybe you have help in the beginning, but all of a sudden like you figure out like, oh no, I don't think I have what it takes to do this. I deal with that a lot. Um, I recently have been dealing with it. Uh, Last, and and sometimes it happens, the way it kind of comes to the surface, if you feel overmatched, is there's a final straw, right? Like it's a, maybe a seemingly insignificant uh, event happens, but it's just for you, it's just the, like, it's the end. Like, you know, you, it could be something simple like you're, you're sitting at the, the chair and, and your, your computer crashes at work. And that, for some reason, that's just the final straw. Then, all of a sudden, from the other cubicles or the other offices, people just hear like a string of expletives just beautifully crafted together, coming out of the depths of your soul. And the computer just crashed. But for some reason, like that was the final straw. Or maybe you're home and like you, you like were doing whites and you threw like a red shirt in with the, and like everything comes out pink. And so your spouse come home and you're like laying on the floor, folding a whole pile of pink clothes and you're just crying. There's tears coming down for some reason. Like that's the final straw for you. Now uh, the final straw, I don't know if it's the final straw for me, but a straw for me uh, last week, this is really fresh for me. So last week uh, I, I gave a a, a clunker of a sermon. If you were here, like we all, let's own it. This was, was a clunker of a sermon. It was long and boring. I'm not saying this, get one somewhere there with this. Like, it was it was long and boring. And look, it's not the first bad sermon that I will get, that I have given. Today might be a bad sermon. It's not the last bad sermon I'm going to give, just to like clue you guys in. If you're new, like, it's going to be a lot of bad sermons. But it, but, but, I for I mean, just for some reason, it's not the first one, it's not the last one, and I know that but for some reason I just it ate my lunch. Uh, even Tyson, the intern after church, he was like, he, he felt he had to give me, like, he pulled me aside before he left and gave me a, a pep talk, like, hey, dude, you just need not to beat yourself up. I can tell you're irritated. And, you know, I, I was, uh, the, the guys call it whenever I'm on the ledge, and I'm just get, I'm on the ledge, and I'm getting ready to jump off the, off the side. And what it was, was it wasn't just a bad sermon for me. It was, it was the last straw for me. And a whole pile, a whole string of thoughts that had been running through my head thinking, you know what? I am overmatched for this church planning thing. Like these people deserve like we like when it was like like a year ago and it was just like a few of us in here like Shanks like you know a bad sermon it only affects like a dozen or so people but now it's starting to grow a little bit and now like it's affecting more people and I'm just thinking man maybe I'm not the right one I'm overmatched in this thing. And it was eating my lunch. And it was so it was it was so bad for me that and I feel embarrassed like admitting this like uh, some of you guys for my birthday last December you, g- you gave Megan some cards and notes for me to, like to encourage me and stuff and it's like in a box and I haven't I literally have not opened that box since my birthday last year and I grabbed that box on the way out of the house on Monday morning I was like I'm 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 struggling I'm looking for some kind of encouragement here. And and the second note I looked at, that is embarrassing to admit, the second second note I came to was uh, a note from Kathy DeBono. And she prepared the sermon for you guys this week. Because there are two verses at the end that she said, hey, by the way, these are two verses that, uh, two passages that have really spoken to me through the years. And the first one was Isaiah 42, 16. And it says, And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will make the darkness before them into light, and the rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do, and I do not forsake them. And that spoke to me because like God in this whole like church planning thing, I am blind. I am blind and I do not know the way. I've never done this before. I feel like I'm overmatched. They're gonna vote on me in a week from now to decide whether they're gonna pay me for some of my time and I don't even know if it's worth it. Should they even look for somebody else? I don't know what's going on here. And his gentle reminder came to me. Hey, you're blind? That's okay. Because the business that I'm in is leading the blind and past they do not know. In ways they have not known, I will guide them, and turning the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. And in that, I was reminded, you know what? This mission that we're on, it's not my mission. It's not Dale's mission. It's not Jason Burton's mission to try to herd the cats and to put together community groups that start next month. The mission is Jesus's. He gave it to us in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. It's before he left, but he's talking to his disciples, before he, he's, he's risen from the dead, he's standing with his disciples, getting ready to ascend up into heaven. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that passage and thinking about that he it's his mission and his, it's his job to lead the blind in ways they do not know and paths they have not known for him to guide us. And I was reawaken the fact that this is his mission. The reason we planted this church is we're going through this refocus series, looking at Jesus, worship, community, and mission. The reason that we are on this mission to plant a church in Myrtle Beach is not because I wanted a forum so that I could preach. It's not so that Dale wanted some books that he could keep or he could learn how to really order pipes and drape and set them up really fast and really easily. It's not because we wanted to come to a smelly school on a Sunday morning. It's not because we thought every other church was mailing in and we needed the real church. It's not because we wanted to be the cool church is because there are 417,668 people in the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area. Let me say that again, just for you to to think about this. There are 417,668 people in the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area. That number grew by over 67%. Think of that. That number grew by over 67% between the year 2000 and the year 2010. For the years 2013 to 2014, Myrtle Beach, the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area, was the second fastest growing metropolitan area in the country, growing by over 3%. That's, That's a crazy growth rate. The year before that, we were the seventh fastest growing metropolitan area. In the country, in the country. At our current rate of growth, the population of the Myrtle Beach area will be between somewhere around 560,000 people to 625,000 people by the year 2025. Now that's not large by standards of some cities. If you look at Charlotte and Atlanta and whatnot, but we live in a boomtown town. And at least 60% of those people, 60% of those 417,668 people, at least 60% of them are not disciples of Jesus. That means there's at least a quarter of a million people in the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area who are not disciples of Jesus Christ. At least around, well, around 75% of those people or around 313,000 people aren't regular attenders at a church. Add to that that Coastal Carolina University, which is just a few miles from here, I can hear in my house the there's some... Woods over here. And then back behind there, there's student housing. I can, they're close enough at night, I can hear them when they're having a party. 10,000 students attend Coastal. And it's estimated that only 2% of them are evangelical Christians. That means that there are around 9,800 students at Coastal who don't know their right hand from their left. I was groveling because I thought. Man. Maybe I'm not the right person to be a part of this deal. But what had happened is I got my priorities mixed up. And I was thinking more about my performance. Rather than the need. And that's just locally. Locally. The United States is the third most populous country in the world. 300, as of last night, I checked that they have a, the census has a rolling uh, population counter. As of last night, the population of the, of the U.S. was 321,578,000 and some change. Listen to this. Out of those 321 million people, 114 million Americans don't go to church. That's over one in three aren't in church. If you count the teenagers and the children, the number jumps up to 156 million. Do the numbers, that's almost half. The number of the unchurched people in America would make the eighth most populous country in the world. Let me just say that again if you took all the people in America that do not go to church and you put them in a country, it would be the eighth largest country on the face of the earth. In the past decade, this stat is staggering to me, in the past decade, more people in the U.S. have become churchless. That means they have stopped going to church than live in Australia or Canada. We've lost the population of Australia or Canada from the churches in America, in the last 10 years. And the church, churchless are less likely to be men, uh, no, sorry, the churchless are more likely to be men, unmarried, and young. And the younger you are, the less likely you are to be a part of the church. When you look at the stats of the people that are going and attending church, the, as you get younger and younger in the spectrum, the numbers drop all the way down. And that's just America. In the world, there are right now around 7.2 billion people. There are 9,700 people groups total in the world. A people group is a, is a group of people who share a common language and a common culture. It's the easier way as, as missiologists think about taking the gospel to the world. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just like Sri Lanka, but Sri Lanka might have lots of different cultures that are inside Sri Lanka. So as you think about taking the gospel to a new area, you have to think about what people share a language and a particular culture. 9,700 total people groups in the world. Now this number is just staggering. Out of the 7.2 billion people, there are 3 billion unreached people, individuals in the world. Think about that person that's closest to you who don't know Jesus and it breaks your heart. It might be a child, a brother, a sister, a friend, a spouse. There are three billion of those in the world. Three billion sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, spouses who do not know him. And almost, and this is a staggering thing, Out of the 9,700, I know I'm throwing a lot of stats at you guys, but just try to stick with me. Out of the 9,700 people groups in the world, almost 4,000 of them are unreached. Over 2 billion people in the world claim Christianity as their religion, and that's awesome, but that's only about one in three in the whole world. There's a great need. And that's why we're planning this church. We're planning this church because out of those 417,668 people that live in the Myrtle Beach area, we need to mobilize and to reach them. The more likely you are to be not in to, to not be in church, you're more likely to be a man, you're more likely to be young, and you're more likely to be unmarried. And that's why we need to reach young men. The church in America is staggeringly misdevoid of males. Caleb, and I'm not knocking Caleb, but Caleb is the most popular Christian radio station in the in the country. Its target audience is women in their fifties. Nothing against that, but that's where it, that's your sweet spot. That's the people that are a part of church in America. We have to reach them, and that's why when sixteen of us got together almost three years ago to start to dream and to plan and to pray and to talk about what it would look like for us to plan a church in the Myrtle Beach area, we came up with the mission. That our mission as a church is to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. It's just a restatement of Jesus' mission that he gave to us at the very beginning when he said go into all the world and make disciples. That's the mission that God gave to the church and it's the mission that you and I, if you're a believer, we get to join him on that mission. It's the mission that he's been about since the very beginning of the world. When Adam messed up in the garden, the first thing God comes to him and says is, hey, I am going to, make, I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to provide a redeemer for you. In Genesis chapter 3, he alludes to that the seed is going to come and it's going to bruise the head of the serpent. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, his Mission, his goal, that thing that he's been about since the very beginning of the cre- of before the world was created was to win a people for himself for his own glory. And so our mission as a church is to make disciples. We define the disciple as someone who is joyfully worshiping Jesus with their whole lives. It's not somebody who obeys a set of rules. It's somebody who stopped doing this and started doing this or somebody who now goes to church where they used to go, not go to church but it's somebody who, whose life has been so revolutionized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've discovered the one for whom they were created for and by whom they were created and so their whole life is now in joyful worship to him. I give my life to him. I rebuild my life around him. All of everything I do and say and think is now directed towards him and for him because that is where my joy is found in him. And in order to accomplish that mission, our vision is to plant a community group in every neighborhood and a church in every community along the Grand Strand. The reason for that is, is this. Uh, the, the Grand Strand is kind of a weird area if you live, uh, and that's for a lot of reasons, but the Grand Strand is kind of a weird area. If you if you live in Charlotte and you drive 45 minutes to work and an hour to church, it's really no big deal. But if you live in the Myrtle Beach area and ask somebody to drive 15 minutes, they think you've asked them to go to Timbuktu. <laughs> I had a friend who lived down in like the... the uh, like Myrtle's Inlet area, and he was like up here with me having lunch one day, and uh, we had to go to, to Forest Brook Road. We were ha- having lunch by the Tanger Outlets on 501, and we had to go to Forestbrook Brook Road, and I said, All right, we have to go to Forest Brook Road now. And he said, I don't know where that is. You have to tell me I'm not familiar with this area. I'm like, familiar with this area? You live here. You've lived here for like your, all your life. How can you not be familiar with where, like, it's, it's where we live, but that's just the way Myrtle Beach is. And so, in order to reach people, We want to be easy to invite people to church and invite people to be a part of the community group that you're part of. And it's easier if there's a community group in your neighborhood and if there's a church nearby. And so our goal is we want to be a church planning church. We want to be a church that raises up leaders. That's one reason we want to reach and go after young men. And we want to develop young men and young women into leaders, we want to develop young men who will then go and plant churches. We want to equip them, train them and then send them out. We want to plant a church in North Myrtle Beach, and plant a church in Socastee, and plant a church in Myrtle's Inlet, and plant a church in Conway by Coastal and you know who knows beyond that. Maybe, you know, Lord help the person we might plant a church in in Florence or Georgetown or all of the, or all these places where people live that need to know Jesus Christ. We will plant a church there. We want to raise up leaders to do that. We have a passion to reach young men and see them become disciples. Train. This is my passion, training them and calling them to be godly men who reject passivity, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. In answer to thinking about the thinking about the quarter of a million people who live along the Grand Strand who don't know Jesus and the over three hundred thousand of them that aren't involved in the church, we want to be a people who love and serve the community. We want for the, the good that we do in this community to be so integral to 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 this area that they can't that we grow to the point that they can't picture what it would be like if Doxa Church did not exist. We want to reach the poor and care for those who are lowly. We want to care for the orphans and the widows. We want to be about the good and the flourishing of our city. We want to devote our time and energy and resources to caring for those who other people do not care for. To the extent that the government in the area looks around and says, "We we may not agree with what you believe. We may not agree with who you are. But if you were not a part of us, In this area, we can't even imagine what that would look like. So we'll partner with you even if we don't agree with you. We want to be a giving people. We want to be a people who hold things loosely. That's why to this point we meet in the gym and we're not actively looking for a facility. One day we will have some sort of facility, but we're not actively looking for one. Because being able to meet in this school, we're able to partner with the community. And also we're able to save a ton of money that would normally go into upholding a building. That's why Dale and I have been bivocational. I'll continue to be bivocational for the foreseeable future. It frees up so much time and money and resources that we can turn around and give it to people, give it to the area, pour it into other ministries and people who are serving and reaching the area. We wanna be a serving people. We wanna be a people who are known for not holding their time and energy and resources tightly, but we turn it around and we serve and we wanna be a redeeming people. We wanna step into the, the local the places of hurt and brokenness that we find. And we want to be a people who step into those situations and bring the redeeming power of Jesus Christ into those areas of brokenness and darkness. We want to be a multicultural people. We think that the church should look like the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not full of white Southern Republicans. The kingdom of God, in fact, the majority of Christians on the face of the earth right now don't have the skin color that most of us in this room have. They don't speak English. They're certainly not Southern Republicans. And we want, when people look at Doxa Church, We want them to see the kingdom of Christ, where people who do not share a common background, a common bond, a common social background live together under the peace and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a part of planting churches locally and around the the United States. I want to see leaders raised up here. I want to, not just leaders, but uh, all kinds of people raised up here where a leader says, hey, Boston needs the gospel. I'm going to go plant a church in Boston. And we send a group of people to Boston to plant a church to be a missional community inside the city of Boston. We want to invest in coastal students who become believers and then they, as they graduate, they disperse around the country. They go back home where they come from perhaps or they go somewhere else and they carry the gospel seed that we've invested in them and scattered across the nation and across the world. Myrtle Beach by nature is a transient community. We know that some people will come and stay here for a long time but some people will only be here for three or four years We want to invest in them while they're here, and then when they go, we know that we're investing in scattering the gospel wherever they may head. We want to partner in church planning around the globe, those uh, 4,000 unreached people groups and the 3 billion people who do not call Jesus Christ their Savior. We want to partner with people who are planning churches around the world. That's why as our little church, we invest money every month and to our, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Bihar, India, who have a bivocational church planting network in one of the poorest places in the world. A region the size of Tennessee that has 100 million people there. The vast, vast, vast majority of which do not know Jesus Christ as their savior we want to invest our time, our energy, and our resources for the furtherance of God's kingdom around the world, especially among unreached people groups. I want to see, I long to see the day where people are raised up in our midst who all of a sudden, they, they, maybe they're going, they were going the route of, of business they were going to go the route of starting a company or maybe they're retired and they were planning on just golfing for the next 20 years and all of a sudden they catch a burden for the unreached people groups of the world and they leave us and they go and plant churches among the unreached peoples of the world i long to see that i want to be a sending church that's who we hope we are and we hope we will be as we grow if, you ha- if you'd like some more information about that, Dale's gonna be starting a class uh, next month. It's called Doxa 101. He and I will be teaching it together and it talks about the DNA of who we are and what we're about. If you uh, haven't been through it, if you're not a member, if you had just some curiosity, you can see Dale. There might be a sign-up sheet, but we'll get you signed up and we'll let you know what's going on with that. But here's the deal. That's a big mission and look around, we're a small group of people. How do we get there? What do we do? And that's where it was the second set of verses that Kathy put on that note for me that we read this morning where that come into play. Moses had helped. And I'm, I'm looking forward. We're going to be working through Exodus starting next month. I'm really excited about it. But Moses had helped to lead God's people out of Egypt. They would crossed the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness and kind of did some amazing things. And now... They were there in the wilderness and God said, come up to this mountain and I'm going to give you my laws. I'm going to give you, I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to give you the the rules and the laws that that you abide by in the covenant. Moses went up on the mountain and when the mountain was like, it was like, there's thunder and lightning and flashes and it was a scary thing for the people and Moses was gone for like 40 days and... I mean, somebody says, hey, I'm gonna go up on the mountain, I'm gonna be right back and I'm going to meet with God and like 40 days pass, all of a sudden they thought, man, he must have slipped on a rock or God killed him or something has gone wrong here and so let's start over and so the people, after God had like led them out of Egypt by, you know, plaguing all of Egypt, he had split the Red Sea and they walked through, he had led them by night by a pillar of fire and by day by a, a pillar of cloud, now these people all of a sudden, they think, man, we need to go a different way. And so while Moses is on the mountain, they think he's dead meat. He's, he's, he's out of the picture. They get his brother Aaron and they say, hey, make for us this golden calf and we'll bring you all these ornaments and our jewelry that we took out of Egypt and make us for this golden calf. And he makes them this golden calf and they gather around this after the almighty God had led them out of Egypt. They gather around this golden statue and they begin to worship it. And Moses comes down from the mountain because God says something's wrong is going down Going on down there, Moses comes down the mountain, he gets angry, and you guys have seen the movie. He takes the tablets, and he throws them down, and they crack. And God says, I am done with these people. But he calls Moses back above the mountain. And Moses says, no, don't be done with this. Let us, you know, come on, come on, God. And God says, okay. But here's, here's what I'll do. I promise to you, that I would would send you to the promised land. That's where the Israelites can't wait to go. He says, he describes as a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, I'll send you to the promised land. But here's what I'm going to do. You guys are really getting on my nerves. And every time I do something awesome, you guys think it's great and you dance and you sing. But then five minutes later, you're worshiping a gold statue. And so here's what I'll do. I'll... I'll send you into the promised land, and I'll send an angel before you, like a really, like a really bad angel. You know, it's like a, like he's, he's going to go through and he's going to help you destroy the people, and you can go into the promised land just like I promised you I would do. But I'm going to stay back here. And Moses says in verse 15, "But if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here." For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And then Moses said, and it's one of the most amazing prayers in the whole Bible. He says, please show me Your glory. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our church, our little church plant here. And I was thinking there's two ways that we could fail in regards to mission. The first way is if we just have no mission, if we don't go. He said to go, he, told, he, he promised the Israelites the, the promised land, and they could have just said, hey, we don't want the promised land, we'll stay back here. And that can happen if we begin to think that we've arrived. You know, the early stages of planting a church, like if the shanks didn't show up, the room was empty. Because we count on the shanks and all their kids to fill up a whole row. and we needed every hand on deck to come in here and we, we didn't even have the pipes and drains. what little bit we had set up to do. We needed every hand on deck to do it. If we were missing one person from setup, we were running like we would be running late the whole rest of the day. If one person wasn't here for teardown, Dale and I would be here to like 2 2:30 in the afternoon. But now we're starting to get a few more bodies. And things aren't quite as pressing as they used to be. And if we begin to think, hey, we've kind of arrived, like the band kind of sounds good now, and the place kind of feels a little bit more like a church, and things kind of, we got a, a budget rolling, we're able to pay Randy a little bit of money, and hey, things are, things are kind of going okay now. And we begin to think that we've arrived, then we fail because we'll camp there in the wilderness. Another way we could fail if we have no mission is we, if we begin to confuse growth for mission. Uh, a year ago, I don't think we were even half this size. But just because the church is growing, doesn't mean it's on mission. Because God can send the people into Israel and they can take the land and him not go with them. But if we do that, we're working on somebody else's mission. There's some churches that grow. Let's just be frank. There's some churches that grow simply because they have an awesome communicator. There's some churches that grow because they're really well organized. There's some churches that grow because they have the best music. That's not accomplishing the mission. If, If a year from now there are five times as many people in this room, but God didn't go with us, there wasn't a sense of His presence among us when we not only when we gather together in a large group but in our lives. When other people come around us and you know, have you ever been around somebody who you knew God was with them? You could almost smell a, a sweet savor when you're around them. Their, their words were flavored with grace. It's because they were carrying the presence of God into your circle. And you and I can be keeping all the rules, nailing our quiet time, be, pack this place out, and if God's presence is not with us and among us, we're accomplishing another mission altogether. We can fail if we confuse activity for mission. Just because we're doing stuff. I can come here every week and because I'm a part of setting up and tearing down and I'm preaching three out of four weeks and I'm meeting with the guys during the week, I can confuse that for being on mission. But I catch myself kind of in autopilot sometimes. Doing things under my own power, under my own ability, and not resting upon the presence of power of Jesus Christ in my life and in our midst. We can fail if our thoughts of success begin to revolve around ourselves. The music sounds the way I like it to sound. It's become, it's a convenient church for me to go to. This community group is not full of a bunch of jerks. I can put up with them. And all of a sudden we begin to think about whether church, a church meeting or church itself is a success because it meets my standards and what's convenient for me. Instead of me thinking about myself as a part of the body of Christ that lives on mission for him, we are a people who are to go and to carry the presence of Jesus Christ. Another way we can fail, not only if we just have no mission, but if we have no presence. God's presence is the proof that we are his people. There are a lot of people who are not Christians who are a lot better people than I am. There are a lot of people who are not Christians that are far more disciplined, a lot nicer, a lot kinder than I am. What makes me a believer is not what I, a code that I adhere to or some rules that I keep. What makes me a believer is that I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he has caused me to be born anew. And now his presence dwells in me and with me it's what makes us distinct as a people that's what Moses was saying is how shall we know how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight I and your people is it not your going with us so that we are distinct God's presence is the proof that we are his people God's presence is the power for the mission. We will not accomplish his mission of taking of making disciples of those quarter of a million people that live in the Myrtle Beach area, of the 156 million people in the United States, and the two thirds of the world that do not call him Lord if his presence does not go with us, he is the power to accomplish it. It is too great. God's presence is the proof that we are his people and it's the power for his mission. So therefore, our desperate cry must be that he will go with us and he will show us his glory. Glory. I wonder if we could make that our prayer as a church. God, we'll go. We'll go along the grand strand and we will go around the nation and we will go around the world. But only if you go with us. Would you show us your glory? Would you show me your glory, your nature, your character? Your goodness. And would you show us as a people your glory? Jesus came and he tabernacled in our midst. He displayed the glory of God. And he now dwells in and among us as Christians. So I have two questions for you this morning. Are you estranged from that presence? When Moses asked to see God's glory, what comes after this is God says, no man can see my face and live. So I'll let you see the back end of my glory, but you can't see it full on because it will kill you. And you and I, by nature and by choice, are sinners who are estranged from the presence of God. Yet Jesus came and paid the penalty that only he could pay to buy you back, to purchase you back, to the Father. And if you have not placed your faith and trust in Him, I implore you to do that today and be united with the presence and the glory that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. And then for the believers this morning, those of us who call Docs a home, those of us who are thinking about it, and those of us who are just passing through, let's devote ourselves to this great. Mission along the grand strand and the world. And let's do that. Let's make our strategy to reach the grand strand and the world, to seek his presence in our midst, to pray, God, would you show us your glory when we gather in large groups and small groups and in my own personal life? And would he do that for his glory and for our joy and the joy of the people of the Grand Strand. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.